Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. Another week of American Tennis. Anybody out there tired of my American Tennis song? Listen, folks, uh, you know, I was hoping that it would be a household humming tune or one of those things where you just get it in your head and it sticks in your head uh, and you know you it would it would lead you to hum it over and over and over again and uh well anyhow it hasn't worked so far people have asked me when are you going to dump american tennis song but i you know i sort of like it and we're going to hang on until i can get something better i've got to get somebody with a lot better computer uh, understanding, you know, but anyhow, it's five years now, American tennis for the past five years is coach Chuck Creasy. And I am the self-proclaimed self-proclaimed others have said too that I am the guardian of the game. I'm the guardian of the game. I'm going to go out there and fight for this game of tennis. As long as I have breath in my body and, uh, the aggravation level has reached a figure fever pitch. But daggone it, I, look, stand up, speak out, say the things that need to be said, and uh, folks, don't be afraid. If you're an old, older uh, man or woman who plays tennis and loves it, uh, dang it, we have the responsibility to honor the heritage of our game. And uh, it will go on and it will be intact uh, we don't have to listen to the Peter Panics out there and said, oh, my golly, we're losing this many numbers. The Peter Panic mark- marketeers, the marketeers are not making as much money out of it, I guess, so they are panicking. But, folks, we need to guard it and the heritage. And and the reason I, I'm, I'm saying this, I want to get to what we're doing uh, today, but uh, a very quick just a tease. Coach Tom Parham, uh, y'all have heard of Tom 
Thomas Paine. This is Coach Thomas Parham. And Common Sense is the is the article or the brochure or the, the little booklet that Thomas Paine wrote right before our Declaration of Independence and, and the Revolutionary War, and it sort of unified the colonies. Now, you think about the power of writing one or one booklet about common sense, the common sense of why they needed the, our, our forefathers here in this country needed to break away from the British. And just think, there was no communication. Uh, letters had to go by horseback, and uh, there was no communication around the colonies. But they, those daggone British must have been very much a tyrannical bunch. And their uh, leadership that was coercive, as I always say, coercive leadership, forced leadership, mandating the leadership, top-down leadership, top-down from all the way across the, across the uh, ocean, all the way across the ocean. But how bad it must have been because there was a spirit that wanted to defy that uh, leadership they were getting. And there was a spirit that stood up and, 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 and spoke out. And uh, before it was all over, people were risking their lives and giving their lives uh, to fight tyranny. And I've often said we have tennis tyranny in this country to a great extent. We do have tennis tyranny because it's top-down management. They're trying to change it into a socialist or, uh, you know, a dictatorial groups. Our dictatorial groups are forcing things down our throats, and we wish that they were all learned leaders. We wish that there was a reason why they were doing this other than just saying, oh, we're trying to save tennis. Oh, we're trying to get tennis on TV. We all know these are ruses, and these are not; these are fabrications of the truth. So, yeah, I'm I'm upset about what's going on. I'm, I'm going to have Coach Thomas uh, Parham come on and talk about common sense tennis, and I want to be promoting his book called "The Little Green Book of Tennis" by Coach Tom Parham. And um, I uh, years ago, and I'll just leave, leave you with with this before I before I set the table for him to join us. But my first year coaching, um, I was at Clemson as a young twenty six year old coach, and I took my team up to Atlantic Christian uh, University. I think that's Brunel or something like now. I don't think it's Atlantic Christian anymore. I'd have to ask him, but. Um, I think it's Brunel College. I might I might be wrong there, but I'll I'll find that one out. But I would go up there. We go up to play, and um, I remember I had my team <laughs> following all the marching orders of a 26 year old general that I thought I was, and I was fired up, and I was into it, and I was going to set the world on fire. And I had all these things going on. And Coach Parham came over very slowly, and a wise wise and little bit older gentleman, and he said, uh, what are you doing with all this? I said, well, we got rule number 15 and rule number 17 and rule number 21, and I got it all figured out. I got it all written out, and I'm going to write all about this one day because it's all going to work. And he looks at me and said, son, you got all those rules. He says, if you got them, you got them and force them. Now, this is going to wear you out. You're never going to be able to enforce them. He said, real simple, there's only three rules. You got these three things, and your team will do just fine. 
No drugs, no drunks, no bums. He said, that covers it. <laughs> I go, well, wait a minute. The drugs part, that's simple. Yeah, no drunks. You can't keep college kids from drinking beer. What are you thinking? We try to. We always try to, especially back in those age. Drinking age was 18. So, you know, it was pretty much impossible, but we tried to keep them. <laughs> but basically, that's, that's right. They're going to drink. And then the drug thing was just starting up pretty heavy about 1970. And, boy, is that a catastrophe. How much, how much good talent has that taken our country um, down with? It's just so awful. But then no drugs, no drunks, no bums. That's, that's real simple. So the common sense coach, I always call him Coach Parham, he's going to be coming on a little bit. I'm going to be going over his book. But let me set the table by saying about this, how is this common sense? Uh, last week, had a fellow coach call me and said, you know, we went to this uh, 14 and under, 12 and under tournament, a young junior event in for the South. I think they were over in Birmingham, Alabama. They said the first two rounds we played full matches. Everybody's feeling good. We're playing full matches. And then all of a sudden, mysteriously, on the third day, they said the temperature is going to be 80 degrees. Oh, my golly, and we would never want our kids to wilt. And, and, and I'm talking, that's another topic. Kids acclimate. They acclimate, and nobody ever. On the tennis court, what happens when you get too hot, too tired, you miss balls and you lose. And we uh, we have become Peter Panic about worrying about, oh, it's too hot for our kids to play tennis. You guys ever been in Asia? or Africa, or other places playing tennis, what the heck do you think goes on? People acclimate to the heat just like they do the, the cold. When I was in Thailand, it took people about a week to get used to that heat. It was, it was unbelievable how hot it is there. It's over 100, humidity's high, and people literally, it was brutal for the first week till they got used to it, but you acclimate. And uh, my golly, so it's over 80 degrees, and guess what? The third round, they play tiebreakers for the third set. Now, if you want to just mess up the, what should be the right outcome of tournaments, folks, play tiebreakers for the third set. You might get the better player winning 70% of the time. I'm saying the better player in tennis wins 90% of the time because of their skill set, their hard work, and all the things they do with tennis. But when you play a tiebreaker for the third set, I'm saying only 60 to 70% of the time, it skews the results. <clears throat> every, every child who plays this will tell you this. However, what are they doing? They're, acclim they're instead of letting our child children acclimate to the heat and to the environment, we're making them acclimate to these abbreviated scoring formats Pretty soon, our kids won't know what a real tennis match looks like. Yes, as the guardian of the game, or as a guardian of the game, folks, each and every one of us are guardians of the game. We need to be standing up, speaking out. You parents need to be outraged. Wait till we get Coach Paramount here to tell you about the very, very small chance all of you have to find a place for your child to play tennis in college. It is a joke what is going on. It is ridiculous. Listen, college tennis is, is 
is uh, what our kids dream of and what's going on actually, folks, we, we've got some problems. And we, we've, got, uh, we've got to speak out and stand up and speak out. And the, the tragedy with you parents who are hoping that your children can get scholarships, you will only have skin in the game for two or three years when you're fighting to find a place. And you will be outraged at the amount of scholarships that now – are not even there for our USA kids. They are not there. They are they are being exported, and they are. It is it is unbelievable what's happened to this arena. And uh, I've talked many times about the abbreviated scoring and and uh, what's going on with the ITA, the ITA, the USTA. These people, what is going on? What are you guys doing? We've got good people down there, but these organizations are not on the cutting edge of ex, of uh, what in the heck we should be doing. So that was awful. And I talked to a, a parent, and they said, yeah, they played the last three rounds. They played tiebreakers for the third set. Can you believe it? So pretty soon our kids won't know even how to play the game. And talking about not being tough, you know, how are they going to win anything? We've got in proofs in the pudding. I've been through that so many times. So, also, I, I want to give you something else to think about and to, and to um, just just think through this and try to get a feel for where I'm going with this. But I've got this handout about honoring our game, protect traditional scoring, and uh, I've got the ten reasons why. But I, I've put it in a different way. Under um, the, uh, let's see, it's number two, um, how game is, uh, tennis is a game of simultaneous scoring opportunities for both offensive and defensive positions, postures, and you need, uh, but how game point, the reason you have to win two is tennis is a game where when when I lose the point, you win the point. Now think about this. Think of it where basketball, where when I shoot and miss a basket, you get the two points. So it is always a two-point swing in tennis, and basketball would be a four-point swing. But just think of how it's a two-point swing every time in tennis when you play one point. The reason you have to win by two is many things. You have to win three in a row. That's And uh, I want to make this simple, but if you don't win the first point of the game, you have to win three in a row or four out of five to win the game of tennis. You have to learn how to win conversions three in a row. In Noad, you only have to win one in a row. But but let's get back to my original point. My original point was it's a two-point swing. Now, people might say, well, that's not too bad. It's a two-point swing. On game point, folks, it is an eight-point swing because you lose the whole game. So let's fast forward to a situation where your youngster is 4-4 in the first set and the other person in college gets a net cord. What? That's, that's the stupidest rule ever is that let cord rule. Because what, we only did that because we had a couple great notorious cheaters who were the best players, some of the best players in American tennis, and we would not address them. We did not have the guts to address these kids and tell them just cheating can't go on. So they go, oh, let's just make the let rule. 
And that way, uh, that eliminates a person calling let every time they are aced. And players did this when it's game point especially. Well, why wouldn't you? It's worth eight points. Listen, folks. So it's 4-4, and it's game point, 40-40, or the three-all point, as we used to say, in the no-ad scoring. And the person gets a net court, they get cheated, or by hook or crook or good play, the person loses the point. They now, their opponent only has to win how many more? Four more points to win the set because they're up 5-4. Guess what you have to win? 12. So you went from being tied at 4-4 in a deuce point, and that one point is worth 12 points you have to earn to their four to finish that set out. It is an eight-point swing every time, folks. I want you to think of how ridiculous, how ridiculous it is that we have this no-ad scoring. It is, it, it is not something that is anything else except the bastardization of our wonderful game. So who are these guys? I want to know, and I called it out on uh, a radio show that I was on, Coach John Denise's, uh, last Thursday. I said, who are these guys? I would like for you guys to stand up. These guys behind the curtain, these Oz, these Oz's behind the great and powerful Oz, behind the USPA curtain, who are you guys who are forcing down our throat these scoring systems? Who are you guys in the ITA who are forcing down our throat this ridiculous college scoring system? This, oh, folks, in the first, you, you play doubles, you play one set of no-ad scoring, and folks, it, it is talking about a flash in the pan. It is not even that isn't something that even resembles tennis. It's basically get ahead and stay ahead, and uh, you better not go to the bathroom because you're going to miss it. It it is absolutely ridiculous. But I'd like to know who you guys are. Stand up. How about you guys standing up and speaking out and taking uh, the credit or the blame for what you are doing to the greatest sport in the world now. Let me ask you about these people, the USTA people and the ITA people who are doing this. First of all, do you guys have the rightful rightful power to change what you have changed about our game? After 143 years, the, the arrogance is beyond belief. You guys, your arrogance is beyond belief. It is shameful. You should be ashamed of yourself to put yourself on a pedestal, to think that you are endowed and you're somehow smarter than everybody else. And the impact that it has is so negative, and you will see it is not going to do anything except drive our game into a obscurity and in something that is no more than an after-school activity for our high school kids and a recreational activity for our college kids because it, what you're doing does not inspire anyone. It's a little quick gimmick that the marketeers are promoting. Shameful. Who are you guys? Now, are you, are, are you led by good and noble ideas? Are you guys led by good and noble ideas? Really? Really? 
Why does randomness benefit our game? All of these abbreviated scoring situations represent randomness. Therefore, randomness, is it good for our game? No one would say, no one would disagree that it creates more random outcomes. No one would disagree at all. But why do you want randomness? Do you just want some people who haven't worked as hard to win? Is, could that be it? Could that be it? Or could it be something else? Do we need to follow the money? Folks, folks, I brought it up on a different radio show. But I found out something over Christmas that is absolutely pathetic. It's pathetic. Basically, this, the house, all I'm going to do is say is this. The house wins more when it is a random game instead of being a game where the hardest worker, the best strokes, the person who's most consistent like a Roger Federer wins. The house does not like a Roger Federer winning every time or the favorite player winning every time because you know what that does? It create, creates consistency. The house wants randomness. That's all I'm going to say about that one, folks. But it's not about Johnny or Billy or Susie or uh, Frida May getting the best learning environment. What it's about is creating randomness. Now, are these people skilled? I want to know, are these really our best coaches, these guys who need to stand up and be identified? Who are you? We need to know. And we're going to get Coach Parham, Coach Thomas Parham on here. And uh, just like Thomas Paine, maybe he can write us the common sense uh, article that we need. Are, why are they changing this? Why? All Everything goes back to why. Huh. Look, we all need to be guardians of the game. I'm encouraging all of you to stand up and speak out and say what needs to be said. Folks. We all have skin in the game, not just the parents who have a child going to college here real soon, not just the coach, old coaches who have been doing it for 50 years. Folks, we all have, a, we all have skin in the game. So we're going to have Tom, Coach Tom Parham on here shortly, and I want to bring him on and talk to him. But, folks, he has a new book out. It's called The Little Green Book of Tennis. Now, I want to give you the address many times. Write to him at Coach Tom Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M, 202 Blue Crab Court, 202 Blue Crab Court, 202 Blue Crab Court. That's in Emerald Isle, North Carolina, Emerald Isle, North Carolina, 28594, 202 Blue Crab Court, Emerald Island, North Carolina, 28594. So, Coach Harvey Penick, the great golf coach at the University of Texas, had a little red book out many, many years ago. So Coach Parham, uh, the, uh, one of the deans of college coaching before he retired, my golly, I'd have to ask him for his records, but he was at, at um, Atlanta Christian and then at Elon, and, and uh, he helped so many people around the state of North Carolina, and I think he – He'll tell you he's been coaching high school again, actually. But coach is up there in the age where we 
can call him a legacy and uh, a man of great wisdom. But he thought it was a good idea to talk about, um, you know, put his ideas down in a book and have a little green book. You know what I love about his book? He credits about every person in the world for something. He starts out with mentors and how important they are in uh, people's lives, especially in our game. He, of course, credits uh, the Jim Layton and the Jim Verdicts and the J.W. Eisenhowers and the Chet Murphys, the Ron Smars, the the people that are, oh, my golly, you know, the Chet Murphy is the one that um, I, I don't want to skip on by him too quickly. Folks, uh, the Murphys, if you want to, one of the best tennis books I ever got was by Chet and Bill Murphy, I think, and um, I think Chet is still alive, And but one of the best books of drills ever. Uh, go see if you can still dig up uh, Chet Murphy's book of drills. One of, one of the best things. But he credits other people. This is a great man that credits other people. He talks about other sports, and there's just so many common sense things in this book. I'm looking at all the different um, – he in the con- table of contents he, he gives it to you by certain topics and the book has a great flow to it and a lot of subtitles so it's an easy read but um, he has the topic in here you know, free throws field goal kickers and second serves any of you teach tennis that's a pretty tag on uh, good title there he talks about the nature of coaching he talks about uh, just so many things, team chemistry, the importance of that. You know, nothing goes right. I don't care how many great players you have on your team. If you don't have good team chemistry, not much works very well. Um, he just has a lot of good stories in there. He uh, he talks about uh, why coaches succeed, why coaches fail. He has just on and on some very, very good topics. And it, it'll be a lot of fun for you to read. Um, he credits, you know, a lot Coach Jim Layton, who was at Wake Forest for years and actually at Presbyterian College for many, many years. Most people don't realize that Coach uh, Layton at Presbyterian College had one of the top tennis programs in the United States in colleges. The little town of Clinton, South Carolina, was a great, great tennis power, and more great players came through that town just about than any town in the South, probably Atlanta combined. (laughs) But a little bitty town of Clinton, South Carolina. Coach Layton, I remember, he had one of the uh, best books out back in the 60s and early 70s, and I remember my first year ever coaching. I met Coach Layton, and my hand was shaking so much my voice cracking so much, he sort of looks at me and goes, uh, that's okay, son, you'll be, be okay. I couldn't get words out. I had so much respect for the man. But uh, Coach Perrin will be on here in a minute, and uh, we'll, we'll bring him on. I want to get through a commercial, and we will be right back with Coach Tom Perham, Common Sense Coaching, and this is Coach Chuck Creasy in American Tennis.
This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and folks, I wanted to remind you to pick up a copy of Coach Tom Parham's The Little Green Book of Tennis. Write to Coach Tom Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M, at 202 Blue Crab Court in Emerald Island, North Carolina. This little green book of tennis will give you more information than you could ever think of, dream of, and it's common sense stuff. Just like Thomas Paine once wrote Common Sense, I think you're going to find out Coach Tom Parham's book, The Little Green Book, is just about common sense in tennis. And uh, we speak of the the great uh, Zishyota or Coach Parham. Are you on the line? <laughs> I'm here, buddy. How are you? <laughs> Good. And, and I just uh, – Got done. I didn't even get to play my uh, Toby Keith uh, uh, <laughs> finality there, you know, because then I saw I you on the line. I got all excited. Yeah, we've been coaching yeah. and just uh, I've been talking about your book. I went um, probably about 15, 20 minutes talking about what's going on in uh, tennis today. And uh, I'll just give you a quick rundown. And then I, I, mainly I want to talk to you about your book and some of the things that you think we need to do because there's some great potential we're not using. But I, I talked a lot. Coach, can you believe over at the Southern 14s in Birmingham last week, they um, ran a tournament. This is a Southern designated, a big event. They played regular tennis the first two rounds, two out of three, mat, two out of three sets. The temperature got up to 80 degrees. And so rounds three and four – they played a tiebreaker for the third set, and then they said, oh, what the heck, and they played a tiebreaker for the third set of the finals. Said, you know, wow. was, so that was one, one thing. And then, of course, Coach, I'm just finishing uh, my 38th year, 37th year of collegiate coaching, and uh, I told people the story of coaching the first year against you, Atlanta Christian, out there. And I told them the no drugs, no junks, no bums story. <laughs> but, Coach, right now, uh, I, I am appalled at what's going on with college tennis from the standpoint of the abbreviated scoring. Um, I am lucky enough uh, to that we have played some D2, D3 schools and some NAI schools where we actually play full matches, but these matches we play for doubles now, Coach. One set, no ad scoring, and then we play no ad scoring. I told somebody the other day I would rather lose a tough two out of three set match and, and for our kids to play regular tennis than to play this no ad scoring because of the skewed results. So that was my uh, uh, whole deal, Coach, but then I got uh, – I got about 15 minutes in, and about 10 minutes before you came on, I was I've been talking about your your little green book and everything you did, and I'm going to open it up there and let you talk about 
why you wrote it, how you wrote it, and I credit you a lot. You gave credit to more people. You you speak about everybody else in here more than anybody I've ever seen that that writes writes a book. You gave credit to just about everybody. But uh, go ahead, Coach. I'm going to open it up, and then I want to ask you some questions about. Now, you know where I'm going to go with this. I compared you to Thomas Paine. Common sense, okay. <laughs> the guy that united the thirteen <laughs> colonies, okay. So you're Thomas Parham, okay. Uh, all right, there's all right. All right. My stretch here, <laughs> you see my stretch. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, but 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 yeah, it's gets a long way it, so. from Thomas Paine to Thomas Parham, but I uh, <laughs> I do think that. Um, there's a you know common sense is a pretty valuable tool and uh, we need to not forget where we came from and um, the thing that happened with the book uh, and I appreciate your kind words and I but I, in all honesty I drew that the main idea from Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book of Golf which uh, when I tried to play golf and found that book uh, it just made a lot of sense in terms of short time honored valuable ways to teach uh i'm a big fan of teachers and uh, education and coaching is teaching um so i took that method uh and tried to put the words of the good tennis people that i had run into over the years i was a very limited player and learned tennis late and was just like so many coaches and particularly so many high school coaches just given the sport and so i i had a uh, I had a, a good sports background, but not tennis. So uh, I had to start listening to people who knew what they were doing. And the core of those people, Jim Layton and Jim Verdick and D- Dennis Vandermeer and Welby Van Horn and, and the J.W. Eisenhowers and Chuck Creases and the coaches that uh, I ran into and then my own players. Chet, Mur- Chet, so, Murphy, uh, Chet Murphy. Chet Murphy was got- uh, – uh, probably as good a biomechanic coach as I ever ran into. So that was pretty time-honored st- stuff. I, I cite the case when Coach Layton asked Murphy what we did wrong, and Coach Murphy said we should have let him hit a lot more uh, Western grip forehands. That's a lot more natural for some of them. But other than that, everything else was right. So I think the whole way of teaching it is not something to be thrown out. Um I took the the method of Pinnock and the learning of uh, uh, the tennis masters, particularly the ones in the South. I think we have a great traditional uh, group of people who taught tennis well in the South, had good results. And then I put uh, the cause was high school tennis. Um, That was what I could help, Coach. I couldn't affect uh, wheelchair tennis or uh, the league tennis or those kind of things where – they're all good, and they're all uh, a different part of tennis. But what I could do was to help that high school coach who uh, was uh, simply been assigned the sport, not knowing which end of the racket to hold, and try to help them have, uh, provide a good uh, team experience for a high school youngster. I still believe uh, high school tennis and being part of a team uh, is a lot more reasonable uh, process to follow than sending some uh, fairly t- talented kid down to an academy for uh, you know forty thousand uh, dollars. You know when nobody cares more about the children 
than do the parents. And uh, it's like uh, this girl, Coco Vandewege, I just noticed they tried to send her to a to an academy, and she said, no, I don't want to leave my family. Well, I sort of believe in some of those old things, family, uh, you know, local coaches. Uh, I think our great players <clears throat> have come out of local situations and through the school, high school and college tennis uh, programs. So I made a special effort in North Carolina to – tried to provide the book to all we did provide the book to every coach in North Carolina, boys and girls. Uh, I want to finally get the book in the electronic form into the hands of every player in North Carolina so that you have a school-like situation. You have a teacher with the book and a student with the book. And the next thing we're building is a library where we can uh, bring together all the good informations that the coaches can go to and that information changes while you've got time-honored old stuff. You get new stuff that is and new information that we can put in a web form. And then the next um, project that I foresee is doing like the schools do: go out into the community and find ways to to, to find ways that the really good players and like our Hall of Fame members. I think the league, the women in the leagues now should begin to help. They've, they've had enough experience running tennis and playing. They know more than an awful lot of high school coaches. So the book has been fun. I have a kid come up every now and then and say, are you the guy that wrote the book? And I get a kick out of that. Um, I put my money where my mouth is and went back. I'm, I'm now the 77-year-old assistant volunteer coach for the Croatan Cougars boys team, and we are 14-1 and one, by golly, and I go out there every day and had no idea um, when, I, when I decided I should ask the other guys in the Hall of Fames to help out with their local schools one way or the other. Uh, I felt like I should go do some of that myself in fairness to them, but I had no idea, Coach, how much fun it is to go back and work with a real eager. we got 15 little boys over there that just – Good school, good principal, and uh, it's really heartwarming. And, and uh, those people that say everything's going to hell, a handbasket, uh, they're wrong. There are a lot of good kids out there, and they need to be provided good coaches at every sport. And mine, of course, is like yours, tennis. Uh, so that was the, that was the goal. Um, if I, in retrospect, I was such a novice at writing and typing and and uh, editing and all that. If I had it to do over again, I'd do a little better job of uh, categorizing it so the the players uh, would have to just sort of go only what's in there for players and then the the uh, coaches and then the teams and then even parents and organizations uh, trying to give them a, a a heads up on what's uh, out there for them and what the best channels uh, and techniques uh, to go through to learn uh, everything from sportsmanship to uh, how you deal with the press to what kind of broom you need to sweep the court with, uh, just common sense stuff. And I, I'm glad that I did it. And I, I'm, uh, I, I was real hesitant to think I was expert enough to do anything like that to, to advise a coach. But then I realized what I was dealing with was not what I created but what all these great teachers that I'd run into what their information was and I I quite frankly made a a pledge to coach Layton that I would try to put his information in a in a form that could could be uh, with palatable form 
that could help uh, a lot of tennis people, and that makes me feel good. Uh, absolutely, because you allow it to live on uh, long after he has been gone. I told the people when I first met Coach Layton, um, you know, I knew he had written a, one of the best books out there, and we played. We were playing Wake Forest actually when I was in college. And I got to shake his hand, and I, I absolutely almost fell down. I was shaking. You know, I was so nervous. Uh, but that's the, you know, the, it just, it's, it was more pedigree. The, the esteem that people had, you know, for, for him. So, you know, I, I want to I ask you a couple questions here. You bring up some interesting point. And I've been um, starting my program out each week saying I'm one of the self-proclaimed guardians of the game, a guardian of the game. And I said, all of us are, the coaches are, the parents are, the players are. We we need to stick up for our game at this place. But high school tennis that you talked about is absolutely the sleeping giant. The statistics are that we have nearly 400,000 kids that play high school tennis in our country, but only 17,000. That's about 6% or 7%. Six out of 100 actually play tournaments in the summer and things. Now, I've often said that we're reducing it to an after-school activity and that it is a sleeping giant, that and rural tennis. Can you talk to why you think that is and how, if that's the case, I mean, the numbers don't lie there, Why? what do we need to do to make high school tennis as relevant as a football, basketball, baseball, golf, golf even, or anything like that. Now, your book helps because it helps those coaches who were assigned the sport of tennis. They might be the wrestling coach, but that helps. But what, what else might we do, Coach? Well, the most, <clears throat> my other burning um, passion has, has been a myopic uh, venture to jar tennis and parents and taxpayers and USTA, the NCAA, and the big-time uh, organizations to restore some way to have scholarships for American kids. I just uh, I have a blog, Coach, called or entitled www.tomparham, P-A-R-H-A-M, www.tomparham.wordpress.com. And I just included a letter from the NCAA that states that in the head man, Mark Emmett, uh, very kindly took time to write a personal letter, and his position was the NCAA uh, uh, was geared at diversity and a pathway to opportunity, and that anybody qualified uh, was uh, eligible to play. So uh, I think that's a very noble position, and I buy that, uh, but I don't think that's all there is to it. So in my Two Sides article, I try to portray uh, how we could compromise and get some of the people. Uh, the, the only thing that you get back from all your investment is uh, scholarship money, and they are very, very valuable uh, properties. So I don't want those people to be denied. I, and I, I, I believe in diversity, and I have some great international students and players, but Division Two. Right now, the top five teams have 63 players, and 62 of them are international, and they get scholarships. So you say 62 times $25,000 a year times four years, and all of a sudden you're in big money 
that we get no part of. So uh, I, I wish that's if I could jar anything loose, I would jar loose a common sense uh, agreement between all of us that we have a, a legitimate constitutional legal right to take care of a percentage of our kids first. Now, <clears throat> that's gone nowhere. I'm I'm about through with that battle. But I do think that uh, if a kid now, I see uh, there's a blowback from basketball and football. Uh, those sports, the smaller kids can't play now. So we're going to get some athletes that come back from those two sports, and where are they going? They're going to go uh, all of a sudden – uh, you hear lacrosse. lacrosse. Well, lacrosse yep. is a, a is a sport um, that they get a scholarship in. So they're beginning to play the soccer's. And uh, what worries me more than anything is they're playing video games and not playing anything at all. So there are going to be some great athletes that blow back from other sports, but tennis has got to provide scholarships for them. Uh, or there, uh, a lot of parents with their second children or word to mouth, hey, they don't want anything but international players, then that's going to stop uh, not only high school play, it's going to stop junior play. So there's got to be a, a carrot at the end of the whole thing, and I, I think that's our biggest flaw right now. Um, I do think that uh, <clears throat> there are an awful lot of dedicated uh, high school coaches who really want to contribute I think we need to have more and more uh, information available to them. Uh, just by being out there with the kids, uh, you know, you, you, I'm not talking about giving money. I'm talking about, uh, I think money helps, but I mean, we've got to learn how to uh, resurface high school courts. You know, we need to learn how to pe- get people to take care of the facilities, pick up the trash. You need to have people who uh, are concerned about the safety of transporting kids, you, uh, you're asking an awful lot of a, a high school coach who is just really paid very little and asked to be uh, almost a surrogate parent. So I, I do think uh, that's the mother load for a lot of us older people. And to be honest, I see very people, very few of our like Hall of Fame people or gr- really great players who didn't play high school. And you jar them a little bit, and you say, "Oh yeah, I really—that's where I really got started and had a great time." And oh, I remember old Mister Tony. What a good man! He helped me with my backhand. That's how this thing happens. And I don't think we—I'm uh, like you. I think we should be guardians of that and not let anybody come in there and dismantle it, uh, particularly the local scene. Now, I understand the new place down in Orlando—they're going to allow. Uh, some more come in there for a while and go home, not live there and not take the kids out of the homes. And I think that's an encouraging understanding from the USDA, uh, a lot more so maybe than some of some of the past things. So there, there this well, few ideas. Those are fantastic. Few things. Uh, the fruit, the the proofs in the pudding with the USDA facility, the hundred court complex. If, um, you know, that becomes a white elephant or something that just sits there, um, you know, it's going to be, again, one of the USTA failures. Somebody threw money out there, and we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding. We all hope they'll be successful. 
but it's under a lot of scrutiny right now, and everybody I talk to in tennis. A couple thoughts I had, Coach, and what do you think about this? With the foreign scholarships, uh, first of all, I'd like to tell all of you out there with daughters, I have two daughters that one's in swimming, one likes tennis. And uh, I want to remind you that Title IX was not set up to protect women from France and Portugal and Argentina and Russia and China. It was set up to protect my daughters and yours. Title IX was set up to protect them. What has happened is the most, um, you know, it's not a good thing at all that most of the scholarships are going to international students, international girls. Now, Tom, this is another thing. International kids now can make, if you play tennis, you are allowed to make $10,000 a year. And if you make $10,000 a year or under, plus your expenses, no matter how you put your expenses, you can go to college. So basically our high school kids from local Greensboro High or local, you know, uh, Clinton, South Carolina High School, our local kids are going up against the pros, the entry-level pros from the other countries. They've played single-A ball for a year or two or three or four. And and Coach Parham, most people don't know this, is that then they say, look, I'm not going to make a living. Let me go take an American scholarship. So the can of worms is really open. So here is what I propose to the USTA, and I've got to do it in written form. The USTA should use some of that money instead of building a 100-core complex. Why don't they take, or if they've got the money anyway, they say they make three or $400 million a year on the U.S. Open. I don't know what's true and what's not with that one. But, Coach, you could say let's take a million dollars and reward those coaches that do the best job with American kids. We're the USTA. We want to we want to reward USA coaches and kids. And let's say they only gave five a year to each of the D1, D2, D3, NAI, and junior college. Five a year. And they sent old um, Coach Tom Parham at Elon two hundred grand, two hundred thousand dollars bonus because he did the best job of anybody else in the United States with American kids, no matter how they marketed that thing. Don't you think that everybody in your conference would go, what? You got a $200,000 bonus, grant, whatever? And, Coach, we might set up something where we put bait out there as incentives to incentivize people to do the right thing. And I am saying it's the right thing to recruit Americans first, Every, nobody would disagree with – look, we're not against uh, diversity and all that stuff. But my golly, it's, I mean, the pendulum has gone so far the other way. Our USA kids are surely being left out. My daughter is going to be left out of uh, swimming, actually, the dropping all the swimming programs. They drop – it's uh, the tennis. There's too many international students, so we, we probably need that. High school tennis well, is you know, the, uh, you're preaching, sleeping you're, giant, Coach. Go ahead. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir now. I've been fighting this battle since 1970. But you, you take your Orlando ex- money spent down there. Well, you look at the uh, renovation of the uh, U.S. Open. They're going to have spend $500 million for a roof, and you're not going to have any Americans able to qualify. 
I mean, it's literally, we don't have that many people can even qualify to play under the roof. Now, it would appear to me that they would say we need to find a way. Uh, and and I'm, you know, you you, I think coaching money that's an incentive. Uh, but really, what the parents see is scholarship. Now, you take the Title IX thing. You're right on top of that. Title IX occurred in 1970. Soccer is the one sport in the history of mankind. More people play it than any other game. Our men have never won the World Cup. Since 1970 in Title IX, our women have won three times. Now, that's because no other country did that. Now, there were 23 girls or women on that roster. All 23 of them were American, and every one of them had a scholarship. By the same token, you look at Duke University's women's golf team, They've finished second and first in the two uh, last two years, Division One NCAA. They don't have an American on the roster. Young coaches look at the ones who win. You, you're going to look at um, NCAA basketball this year and say, well, maybe uh, one and done is not the answer after all. Maybe that South Carolina team with a bunch of really tough kids who stayed there four years, that's the paradigm for how to win now. Young coaches – ADs, they all look at what's current and what wins. Now, everybody watching right now in tennis says the internationals win. That's the way to go. So don't blame the well, coaches. Zaga the coach, the co- ball too. Well, the Zaga coaches are not going to. There's 5,000 international basketball players in America right now. Every uh, one of those has taken a scholarship for some poor kid who doesn't have any other route. Now I don't, I don't argue that some of that is okay, but this thing is really creeping, and uh, it's not creeping; it's moving at a high rate. Now, uh, what, how do you how do you stop that? Uh, you've got to dig in your heels and enough voices. The taxpayers ought to stop it. The parents ought to stop it. Parents are probably the best venue to stop it. I can tell you this, the NCAA has no intention of, of stopping it. They don't intend to stop it at no, all. They, and they, they can read, read that letter and say, point, right. point blank, the NCAA right. has said, we are not we, going we to do that. Uh, well, I don't, what, if the USD, what if the USDA said, hey, this is important enough to us to have our own college program? Uh, and that's a far-fetched idea. But you know where, where kids, American kids, are playing college tennis? They're playing in clubs. There are clubs all over the country in colleges, and those kids are just playing for fun. Uh, I guarantee you, if you, have, if you have Duke's club play Carolina, North Carolina's club, there'll be more fans there than there will be for the varsity matches. The college kids will go see them. We're interested in, in whether the, there is a, a diminution of the ability of the players. Who cares? Nobody's coming anyway. Oh, excuse me. You got me fired well, up, Coach. Coach, you got me fired up because I'm just thinking we have a president of the United States that might listen to a letter about about this. I mean, I hate to, hate to bring up politics, Coach, but the point is is that we, uh, you know, the last time Title IX was visited in our government was under George Bush, and the, the second one, right before his second election, and he thought it was too hot of a topic to bring up. So the point is, is it's not about the Title IX, it's about the international recruiting. 
And uh, I don't know how we would get some kind of leverage or something to, to work on this, but the point is we need incentives. I love your idea. The USTA should have a USTA college team maybe. Maybe they need uh, USTA listening to me. I don't know if you guys listen to me. You got somebody out there, I'm sure. But you USTA guys, by the way, very good people, very, I don't like the organization, but very good people, a lot of them. Guys, why don't you guys put together eight college teams for summer play and have four people, have them all do Davis Cup competition. And so that's 32 kids, 32 women, 32 guys, and then go head-to-head, go toe-to-toe, create one of the most competitive environments there is, in the summer months, and maybe, just maybe, we could get something started there. And in the meantime, we're struggling along here at college level. Uh, and, uh, Coach, I know those coaches out there recruiting Americans, and um, they, they need to be uh, hats off to those guys. So, Coach, we're down to the wire here. I'm going to give you the last word to say a few things. Um, shout out to the people out there who are also – are guardians of the game. How do we be guardians of the game, Coach? How should we be guardians of the game? Well, I don't think you can do any of it without passion, and you are certainly uh, have exhibited that all along, and you you continue to do that. Um, I'm like you. I don't know who's listening. We had a, we had a, a coach in our area that was told he the, we want you to win no matter what. And this is a kid, a man who had recruited basically American girls. He went to Germany last summer, and he went to a uh, a player um, show where they had uh, uh, exhibited the local players in Germany. Uh, these were German girls, and there were 33 American coaches there. Now you'd think, oh man, how many people came to look at your daughter? Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. So. I have, like I say, I've, I've squawked about it, uh, considered a heretic about it, never shut up about it. Uh, but I feel a guardianship to the game. And if, if uh, you know, if you don't go over there and have somebody that can coach them and teach them, and if they don't have some future out there, what do I say to a? We've got one kid in our county that could play college tennis. I mean, play good. But I can't say to him, he's a sophomore. And he says, should I keep playing soccer or not? And I say, son, I can't tell you they'll give you a scholarship if you're number one in North Carolina. I can't guarantee that's going to happen. And that's a sad thing. Exactly. exactly I want to be able to tell them the route to go to a good college. Uh, the, the, The pathway to opportunity, as the NCAA calls it, uh, when there's no pathway, when there's no scholarship, there's no pathway. No, no, there's there's really not. And, again, they became a politically correct organization. And, you know, doing, thing, doing things right is not d- the same as doing right things. We have to always make that point, doing right things. But people don't like to talk about this is right, this is wrong. They'll talk, oh, this is the right way to do it, the right way to do it. But basically, they're so afraid of making value judgments. But you know what, Coach? We make value judgments every day in a different direction. We we need to get people pleased out there. 
stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said, stay professional, address issues, not people, and nobody can find fault. And that's why I respect uh, you, Coach Parham. I, I thank you very, very much. I want to remind everybody, Little Green Book and Coach Tom Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M, 202 Blue Crab Court, Emerald Island, North Carolina. Folks, let's order them. Let's get them going out there. And Coach Parham, could I have, we'll have you on again as soon as we can, okay? Thank you. Uh, you're very, very kind, and uh, I'm glad to be your colleague, Chuck. Okay, me too. I'm glad. <laughs> I learned more by watching you than, you know, but by golly, maybe our best years are ahead. Thanks very much, Coach Parham. Thanks. we got to go. Made in America. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.